Can a diabetic hope to stop taking insulin forever? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Bernard Herring, a professor of surgery and director of the Islet Transplant Program, scientific director of the Diabetes Institute for Immunology and Transplantation, and the Eunice L. Dwan Diabetes Research Chair at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Herring is an internationally recognized leader in experimental and clinical islet cell transplantation for the treatment of diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Herring. Thank you for having me. Today we are discussing islet cell transplantation. Dr. Herring, what exactly is an islet cell transplantation? Very straightforward. We isolate pancreatic islets from the donor pancreas and put islets back into a person. This can be done as an islet allotransplant from a cadaver donor into a type 1 diabetic patient or in form of a, an islet autotransplant from a patient who is undergoing total pancreatectomy for the treatment of chronic pancreatitis, and then islets get transplanted back into the same person to prevent diabetes. Well, how exactly do you get out the islet cells? Well, this is a technique that has been developed over the last about uh, 30 years, and it involves uh, two steps. The first step is to dissociate the pancreas using enzymes, mainly collagenase and protease, you end up with a suspension of islet cells and exocrine fragments. The second step, those cell suspensions will be purified on density gradients. Islets have a lower density and can be separated from exocrine tissue and ductal tissue. And after a total preparation time of about four to five hours, if everything goes well, we end up with two to three or four cc of tissue with about 400, 500, 600,000 pancreatic islets and almost no exocrine tissue. And this is then ready for quality control, culture, and the subsequent uh, intraportal infusion. And how do you get it into the portal system? There are two commonly used techniques. Uh, one is done using interventional radiology and access is obtained using very standard interventional radiology techniques using ultrasound guidance. And the second is mini laparotomy, and we provide access to a mesenteric vein or an omental vein and infuse islets through this access. Can you do this at the same time that you're harvesting the beta cells in a live patient? You see, in the case of islet autotransplantation, in a patient undergoing total or completion pancreatectomy, islet cells are processed again over two to three hours. And while the patient is waiting in the operating room, the islet preparation is completed and islets get infused at this point in time. We have practiced a number of different approaches. We have started with the distal pancreatectomy and have processed this part of uh, the pancreas while the resection of the pancreatic had uh, continued and and then followed up uh, with the second part. It can be done in a number of different ways. The standard approach is to perform a total or completion pancreatectomy in those patients followed by islet autotransplantation into the portal vein about two to three hours later. Now, this is a fairly new treatment. 
for diabetes, yes? Well, this treatment is fairly new. It has been investigated for many, many years. The very first islet transplant from a cadaver donor has been performed in 1974. Here at the University of Minnesota, the very first islet autotransplant for the prevention of surgical diabetes in patients undergoing total pancreatectomy has been performed in 1977. Again, uh, here at the University of Minnesota, the success rate was not too promising until about 2000 when a team of investigators led by Dr. Shapiro at the University of Alberta in Edmonton reported on a new protocol which allowed the consistent reversal of uh, type 1 diabetes in seven of seven patients. There were anecdotal success stories reported by a number of uh, centers, including Washington University in St. Louis and the University of Miami, the University of Pittsburgh, and a few European centers, the University of Minnesota, but it was never possible to achieve consistent success. Is this considered an experimental procedure? At this point in time, it is considered investigational and all islet transplants in the U.S. are performed under a so-called investigational new drug application, IND, with close monitoring by local oversight committees and uh, the FDA. We have, however, made a major step forward and as a result of substantial progress uh, achieved by a number of sites, the National Institutes of Health have provided uh, very generous funding to move human islet transplantation from clinical research to clinical care. What that means is that uh, now a few centers who participate in the NIH Clinical Islet Transplant Consortium will perform the very first uh, transplant as part of a phase three licensure or trial, with human islets being tested as the investigational product. So human islets will be tested as a new antibiotic or a new antihypertensive medication or a new antibody. And the FDA considers human islets as a biologic drug. And it will take a considerable effort to complete uh, the studies And it is, uh, however, very likely that uh, within the next uh, two or three years, we will be in a position as a scientific community participating in the Clinical Island Transplant Consortium to submit a so-called biologics license application. And should the FDA find all the information that they need in this application, then it is anticipated that human islets will be approved as a biologic and transplantation of islets can be considered practice of medicine. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Bernard Herring, a professor of surgery and director of the Islet Transplant Program, scientific director of the Diabetes Institute for Immunology and Transplantation, and holder of the Eunice L. Dwan Diabetes Research Chair at the University of Minnesota. Today we are discussing islet cell transplants. Dr. Herring, How successful is the islet cell transplantation program? Well, substantial progress has been made. At this point in time, the success rate in terms of insulin independence at one year post-transplant is about 80 to 90% at a number of centers. 
numerous transplants have been performed in the past uh, so many years. More than 500, 600 transplants have been performed, and many centers have achieved this very promising short-term success in uh, islet transplantation. It is a different question what the success rate long-term will be. We have recently seen that uh, with uh, some protocols, the long-term success rate is not as good when insulin independence is considered the major efficacy endpoint. Most of the patients who received an islet transplant required the uh, resumption of insulin therapy at low doses. The transplants were not rejected, but patients started insulin injections low doses about 2 to 4 to 6 to 8 units per day, not 30 or 40 as before transplantation. They remained fairly well controlled with normal to near normal hemoglobin A1C levels, but there was a decline in function. However, other protocols, and this all remains to be studied more carefully and remains to be confirmed in many more patients, but we have now seen that with different immunotherapeutic protocols and perhaps more refined islet processing techniques, we can now achieve success rates of 50-55% insulin independence at five-year post-islet transplant. This is very encouraging and is matching outcomes in solitary pancreas transplantation in non-uremic patients. But I will say this remains to be confirmed. I think we have reason to be optimistic that as with every other procedure, there will be at least incremental improvements in outcomes. How long does it take before the islet cells become functional in the portal system in the liver? You see, typically within hours, you see much improved glycemic control. The approach that we take is we administer as much insulin as we can for the first two to three weeks at least post-transplant so that islets will not be stressed out and they will be put at rest. We are more concerned about long-term function than initial function. But patients get discharged one or two days after transplantation. The procedure is basically an outpatient procedure, but patients are kept in the hospital for one or two days just for safety purposes. This is still investigational, as we have discussed. So when patients get discharged, typically we have reduced exogenous insulin by at least 50%. And then we cut insulin by three or four units every week. So two weeks later, so maybe they are taking a single injection of basal insulin with or without very small doses of fast-acting insulin to cover their meals. And then we will around one month or six weeks post-transplant, we will check whether insulin is still required. And if we believe this is the case, then a second transplant, a second infusion will be considered. Do you need immunosuppression? All patients are currently immunosuppressed, and we are using protocols very similar compared with whole organ pancreas transplantation or kidney transplantation. The important point is that The findings suggest that cells can reverse diabetes, and we can now achieve very favorable outcomes with minimally invasive surgery using cell transplants as opposed to vascularized pancreas transplants. However, there are patients who will benefit more from 
pancreas transplants than from myeloid transplants. We, at our institution, and I think other centers uh, follow very similar practices, we perform myeloid transplants predominantly in patients who have fairly normal or low insulin requirements. So that is 40 to 50 units per day or less. Whereas patients who have more significant insulin requirements because of insulin resistance or other underlying problems will be offered a pancreas transplant. First, because it is much less likely to restore insulin independence in patients who have very significant needs for exogenous insulin. I want to thank Dr. Bernard Herring, who has been our guest. We have been discussing islet cell transplantation. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.